Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. It's a beautiful um, April spring day here in Salt Lake City, and my guest is my friend Sarah Kemp. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Hi. Just background on Sarah before we hear her story. Sarah just flew in today from El Paso, and she leaves tomorrow back to Michigan. Um, Sarah grew up in Connecticut and then came to BYU. She's a biochem Spanish graduate and then served a mission in the middle of BYU to Alabama, Spanish-speaking. Thanks for your service, Sarah, in Alabama. That's hot country. Yeah. And Sarah will talk about in the podcast, um, that was when she realized she's gay during her mission. And we'll talk about that and coming out to her companion, coming out to her mission president, and just how that all worked and talk about her successful mission. Um, Sarah then went back to BYU, and as I mentioned, is a biochem Spanish graduate, and then um, went to Michigan in med school. And that's a big deal. Congratulations for finishing up med school. Is now starting a residency in El Paso and hopes to be a trauma surgeon. Sarah's in her late 20s. And so that's a little bit of the overview of Sarah, and I'm so grateful for people that reach out to me. Sometimes someone I'm aware of I'll invite to be on the podcast, but other times people that are um, hearing the podcast or aware of it feel this would be a good platform to share their story. And I'm really grateful that Sarah's here to share her story because I think it'll help all of us better understand. Um, Sarah offered a wonderful prayer before we started. I just, bo- both of us just pray this will be helpful for other LGBTQ people, for parents, for local leaders, and for anybody listening to this. So that's a long introduction, Sarah. Anything I need to correct? Uh, no, that sounds good. <laughs> and so we, did you grow up in an active LDS home in Connecticut? I did. Both of my parents are converts to the church, and I was born into the church. That's great. And did you always... If I'd met you in Connecticut in high school and I said, Sarah, do you want to go to BYU for college? Or would you have said definitely yes or <laughs> definitely no or maybe? I mean, BYU was the only school I applied to. I wasn't like gung-ho about it, but I went. <laughs> and if I'd met you in high school, would you have said, I definitely want to serve a mission? Or did that come once you're at BYU? That definitely came later. It wasn't a thing that I was thinking about my whole life. Tell us what caused you to decide to serve a mission. I, The reasons I chose to go on a mission were not something I'm necessarily proud of. That's really honest. Um, I, being a biochemistry major is not the easiest thing. <laughs> and I wanted a break from school. So I chose to go on a mission for a year and a half. And, you know, being a biochemistry major, a mission was a break. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was the original reason I, why I went on a mission. And when, after I got to the MTC, though, I took it seriously. And because of that, it changed my life. My mission was the most spiritual experience of my life. It was so life-changing that I divide my life between who I was before and after my mission. It became, it really became this, like, dividing point of, like, this is who I was, like, like the start of my spiritual life. You know, growing up, I went to church because my parents wanted me to. I really didn't necessarily have a strong testimony. I just, I was there because my parents brought me and I was expected to be there. 
But in the MTC was the time that I really gained a love for the scriptures, especially because I was reading it both in English and in Spanish. And so that really gave me like a deeper understanding of the scriptures. Um, and I really, really loved that. And so that was obviously just the start of it in the MTC. And I was there for nine weeks, which is a long time. But once I got out into the field, I just, I immediately loved the people that I was serving. And I just found this, there's such a profound peace that came into my life the whole time. And so it just, it changed my entire life. And I was so grateful for, for that experience that Heavenly Father gave me. Tell us about the geography of the Alabama mission. Is it Birmingham and Alabama? Yeah. Is it the state of Alabama or does it extend into other states? Um, It's like the upper two-thirds of Alabama. It's the Alabama-Birmingham mission, so it's most of Alabama and a little part of Tennessee and a little part of Mississippi and like one city in Georgia. Did you have a favorite area, Sarah? <laughs> so I served an entire year in Huntsville. Wow. Yeah. I, so I was in six months in Huntsville and then three months in Tuscaloosa. And then I went back to Huntsville to finish my oh. mission. So I think I have, <laughs> I think I have a bias there of where I love. And but you served from what year to what year? 2011 to 2013. We're going to talk about the temple later in this podcast and how that's so important. And I may I can't remember if I mentioned this at the beginning, but Sarah's feeling is she, you know, is gay. She feels like her path is to stay in the church. She doesn't feel like she's ever going to get married. She feels like her eternal um, purpose for mortality is to become a doctor, a trauma surgeon, and that is her reason for being here. And so we'll talk more about that, but just for our listeners, kind of the high level. Um, talk, tell us about which temple you went through to receive your endowment. And was that something you would have done anyway? Or did that really happen because of the mission? So at the time I was in, it was the Boston Temple. The Hartford Temple hadn't been built yet. So yeah, it was back in 2011. I went through the Boston Temple. And from the very first time I went through, it was a very, it was a very profound experience. It was not something I was thinking about. And and back then, I know it's changed now, but back then you only went through the temple if you were going on a mission or getting married. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know that there would have been any other reason I would have gone through. So, and I do, I also remember thinking at the time, like I had talked to other friends afterwards that had a really hard time with the temple, especially females. And, and I remember thinking even from the beginning, like it was never necessarily difficult for me. There are things that I have difficulties with at church, and from the things that I do have difficulties with, I should probably have had difficulties with the temple, but I never did. And I feel like God kind of protected me with that, if that makes any sense. This makes <laughs> so sense. I feel like God just always gave me this like amazing experience with the temple, and it just always became this peaceful place for me. So. I love the temple. We're going to talk more about that. And I'm glad it's such a big part of your life. Mm-hmm. Talk about coming. When did you realize you were gay, Sarah? So it was towards the end of my mission. And so it was a, when the original Mormon and gay website came out. At that time, it was by a different name. But so at that time in our mission, we had Mormon.org time where one hour every week, we would be on the computers familiarizing ourselves with the church's resources online. And so then this website came out and 
I was just so fascinated by it. I just read it and read it and read it and watched the videos. And then I got to the end and I would read it again. And I had a companion at the time who her best friend was gay and he served a mission and she just like she, he was her best friend. So she had gone through all of this um, experience with him and she knew about all the resources at the time, like Ty Mansfield and his book that he wrote in Quiet Desperation and all these things. And so I feel like God put her in my life as my companion at the time to help me through this. At some point we talked about it and I came out to her and you came out to your missionary companion. Yeah. The very first person you came out to was your missionary companion. Yeah. And she That's pretty brave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an interesting time. It was good and it was hard, but it was something that that definitely helped me a lot. Why did you feel that you could be safe coming out to her? So over the course, this happened over the course of weeks. And so after she figured out what was happening, she started talking about her friend a lot more. And so she kept, you know, telling me stories of, you know, how he had served a mission and how he's like really strong in the church. And that's just like opened up a whole new world to me. Like I didn't think anybody else like me existed at all. I'd never heard stories about anything other than negativity about gay people in the church. It just never occurred to me in all my years. And I don't know, I just grew up in a place and in a time where homosexuality was evil. And those two things were completely linked and they couldn't be separated. So I had no understanding of, of what that was. And so as she talked more and more about that, it just, I don't know, it just helped me understand that she was a a safe person to talk to. And so we finally had the conversation. And did she ever ask you or did she just wait for you to come out to her? Did she suspect? If she had waited for me to come out to her, it never would have happened. So so she finally brought it up in one of our companionship inventories. And I mean, at this point, I don't remember all the exact course of events, but she definitely brought it up to me. How Are you glad she up. asked? I am definitely glad she asked because... Definitely because of where I am now, I feel being out now, like I feel so much better and so much more confident in who I am and where I'm at. At the time, like I was so it, like keeping something inside and not being able to be who you are is a hard thing. And so like that was the beginning of my journey to where I am now. And I'm so much I'm so happy with who I am and where I am. And she started that. And That's cool. So I'm I'm very grateful for her. Any thoughts on why it, and this isn't a sign of weakness, mm -hmm. just why it took a little, I don't even say I should say this, took a little longer, because I don't think it took a little longer. But some people would say, some people come out earlier at 14, 15, 12. Right. Do you look back and realize that you always were kind of aware of being gay or kind of, thinking this or was it just completely not on your radar map until you started to study the Mormon and gay website and really sort of self-reflect and maybe receive personal revelation on who you are? It's not that I didn't realize it until then. I had known for a while. It's that I wasn't confronted by it. Not, not confronted in a bad way, but I just hadn't come out until then. You know, I think that I had known for a long time. 
but there's a difference between knowing and acknowledging even <laughs> and to being yourself. in denial. Yeah. So you may be even worn out to yourself, even though right. part of yourself knew this yeah. about you. Yeah. I have, so, I mean, I have all of my mission journals and I had written, I, kn- I remember clearly writing in my mission journals before this had happened. I had been thinking about it before. I never wrote out the words, but I remember thinking like, I remember writing specifically, like if anyone reads what I'm writing, they'll know what I'm talking about, but I'll never write the actual words. Like I wrote that verbatim. Like I wrote That's those awesome, words. Sarah. Yeah. And how was your emotional health? Because some people during this time of not really being out, it's a really hard time for them. And other people, they're okay. Any thoughts on how you were, your emotional health up until coming out? Uh, at the time on my mission? Yeah, or even in high school. I think things were good at the time. I had really supportive companion and especially on the mission like like I said I had such a profound time of peace on my mission I had never been happier than I was on my mission it was just I I I don't know that I should do this or if it's a good thing but I always compare myself to who I was on my mission and like that that is who I was at at my best self so you were emotionally okay in high school mm-hmm. and not suicidal and okay on your mission and this yeah. this sort of unresolved sexual orientation wasn't bringing you into a real dark place. Right. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, did you come out to your mission president or anybody else on your mission? Yeah. I, so pretty soon after that, I came out to my mission president. Tell us about how that went. He was very helpful. And at that time, he said, you know, right now you're on your mission and that is your purpose. And this doesn't need to affect that. Not, not to say that it's not important, but right now you can keep going with, with what you've been doing and you've been doing great as a missionary basically. And this doesn't need to change that. And then, and then he gave me the, this pamphlet called God love with his children. And that, that was a, that was the resource that the church had at the time. And at the time it was a very helpful to me. And, and actually the most important thing that I got from it was actually the title. The title, God Love With His Children, comes from a scripture in 1 Nephi, where Nephi is talking about, he's having a vision, and he's talking about seeing Christ. And an angel asks him if he if he understands the meaning of what's going on. And he says, I don't understand the meaning of all things, but I understand that God loveth his children. And that scripture just it sustained me for so long that I don't get this. I don't understand. And honestly, I still don't understand. If you asked me like why why does marriage have to be between a man and a woman? I've heard a million different answers. I will never know the reason why. It's honest. Yeah. Okay. You know, you you'll never be able to convince me that two women getting married or two men getting married will destroy God's plan. That's that's not going to fly with me. Um, but so, yet you are a faithful member of our church, and and your path is to be a single woman in your life. Yeah. Okay. So, so I don't know if I want to paraphrase here, but mm-hmm. you support the doctrine. Yes. And you're living the doctrine, but sometimes it's hard to understand some of the things you just said. Yes. And so... I would just honor how you feel. I mean, five years ago, I would have said, well, you've got to, you've got to sort of change how you feel. Mm-hmm. And then I, I'm not sure you would if I gave you a list of scriptures to read or asked you to fast and pray. Maybe you'd understand more, but maybe mm-hmm. it's okay if I were your priesthood leader, your friend, just to 
give you permission to feel the way you feel. Because it's not like you're saying, I'm not going to live this doctrine. Mm -hmm. It's just really hard for me to understand, just like you so well articulated. So I think we, I like what you said, because I think we can create space for people to feel differently as they do their best. Yeah. I think a lot of times we try to come up with reasons why we have commandments in our mortal thinking. Like all these reasons why we have certain word of wisdom commandments when we actually don't know the reason, you know, another scripture I always think about with that is, um, I'm not going to think of the reference off the top of my head, but that God gives us commandments to prove, to prove us that we will do all things that he commands. And there's not necessarily a reason other than to know that we trust him. And I've, I've had to, to change my thinking to to be able to live that way and to know I don't actually, I don't know. There might be a reason, but I don't know what it is. And you trust him. Yeah. And, and I've, I've lived my life to believe that the purpose of this life is to learn how to trust God and to trust that this is his commandment. I don't know the reason. And all I know is that God loveth his children. Such a faithful place to be in. Yeah. Talk about um, just be, you know, God love with his children was a pamphlet that was given to you. And maybe right. it's 10 years old. And at the time it was helpful, but there's some right. things in there that now that are less helpful. Right. Do you want to mention any of those? Because it might just be helpful for parents or local leaders to know that what would not be, if they're counseling people that might, something that might not be helpful. Right. So when I go back and read that now, there are some things in there that I don't believe that the church believes anymore. It, it was written a long time ago. And, and in this space, 10 years is a long time ago. Yeah, it's interesting how much the church has changed so quickly and and just how we talk about LGBTQ members and, and all of our thinking. Things have just changed so fast. And there's counsel in there that that can be hurtful. But the thing is, that was the resource that was available. That was the only resource that was available for so long until the Mormon and Gay website came out. So I think just like any big organization, the church can move slowly in some places. So I think if there are places where there are priesthood leaders who still just have this resource and they think, you know, this is still the up-to-date resource, I would tell them to just be careful with it. And to just know that there are more up-to-date resources. And, and you'd point them to the current website, the yeah. Mormon and Gay website. Yeah, and that is the most up-to-date thing that the church produces. And if if they lim- if they're limited to we can only give out things produced by the church, then then I would rather go with the Mormon and Gay website. But also, I mean, if if they're willing to point people into resources not produced by the church, there are multitudes of resources out there, like this podcast, Voices of Hope, North Star, a lot of things that are very, very faith-based, very faith-affirming. And I, I think that sometimes priesthood leaders are are cautious in pointing towards things that are not produced by the church, that they they're scared that it might drive people away from the church, but but there are very many resources that that are very helpful that uh, should be taken advantage of. And sometimes I'll get a positive comment. Uh, I know a stake president had his um, 
stake leadership, watch one of the YouTube presentations that we did. It was Tom Christofferson, Vince Bryce, and myself down in Mesa. Mm-hmm. We spoke um, about this subject to a, in a high school auditorium. It wasn't high school kids. It was later at night. And, and so sometimes I think priesthood leaders say, yeah, it is okay to share content with the people I have stewardship responsibility over if it's a faith-based and has content around this. So, And did you go through a series of labels where you took on different labels? You take on the label gay now. Do you want to just talk about your journey with labels? And Yeah, so at the beginning, I definitely used the label same-gender attraction. And so I know that people sometimes have a hard time using the word gay. So in my in my experience, I used the word same gender attraction because I was ashamed of the word gay. And I stopped using that because to me, I used that because of shame. And so to me, that is a shaming. There was shame associated with the term gay. And so I kind of adopted that too and, and said, you know, no, I'm not gay. Like I, I don't I I don't wanna be associated with that. And when I finally decided, no, this is what I feel, I I felt way more empowered. You know, I was like, this doesn't, saying that I'm gay doesn't say anything about me. It just says, this is who I am. It doesn't say anything about what I do or anything. It just, it's my identity. And, and I'm not, I don't want to, um, say anything about people who do adopt the word same gender attraction because it could be something very different for them. And, you know, I can't conceive of all the possibilities of of what that means to them. That's just what it meant for me. Yeah, this is very hopeful. And I I think my job is to let everybody choose their own label. Yeah. <laughs> Even, and it just seems like that's a basic principle of humanity. Right. And so any thoughts on... I haven't talked to many people um, about women, gay women, about mm-hmm. the difference between taking on the, the word lesbian or the word gay. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on the difference between those two words for you? Well, that's funny because it's always been easier for me to say that I'm gay versus saying I'm lesbian because I'm still kind of in this shame step. It's like I've gotten to the point where I'm able to say I'm gay, even though the definition of lesbian I would fit but I've never said to anybody I'm lesbian. I've always come out and said I'm gay, and I'm I still have that shame, even though I've like I've come out. I am like out, <laughs> <laughs> but I I still have shame, and I still I'm 28 years old, but I I grew up for many many years hearing such awful things in church in the world, not just in church. the The world has the same kind of shame. And so I'm not to that point yet of being able to say I'm a lesbian. And I think that's fine. And you may never take on that label. I've sensed a trend for (laughs) gay women to take on gay more than lesbian or lesbian women to take on that. Mm -hmm. But I have no scientific data to know if that's happening. Yeah. And I would just honor everybody to take on their own label. Well, lesbian, gay, bi, Mm-hmm. I guess that's a different segment, so it's right. hard if you're lesbian to take on the bi label, right. but <laughs> yeah. if you're gay to take yeah. on the gay or lesbian label. Yeah. So, yeah, for some reason, it's just been this gradient of shame with those three labels for me. I've That's that's just the way I've seen it. 
I love you using the word shame. Yeah. I think that takes courage to actually recognize the shame that's been created in you, mm-hmm. not from God, mm-hmm. but from our culture and yeah. from our church culture at times. And yeah. the negative comments we've had, um, you've heard them over your lifetime and I've heard them over my lifetime about people that are different. Yeah. And I, th- and I just recognize that, that I think it's honest that you see that. I don't think you've done anything wrong to feel that way. It's just been exterior influences on you that have caused you. But I would guess one of the ways to overcome shame is actually to acknowledge it in ourselves and even say it out loud. (laughs) I'm not a therapist, but I would guess there's a principle of just healing to be able to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so I look, it's just great courage that you recognize that. Yeah. Um, Last night, this podcast is in April, right after BYU graduation, and um, in the BYU graduation, the general ceremony, or whatever it's called, I don't mm-hmm. even know the right vocabulary, the valedictorian, Matt Easton, who happens to be a personal friend, mm-hmm. in his address that was pre-approved by BYU, came out as gay to the entire, I don't know how many were there, and you know... Is that surprise? You know, you're a BYU graduate. Yeah. Um, and any thoughts on that? Just on how far we've come that that happened at BYU in 2019. You know, that is so amazing to me. I I started at BYU in 2008, and that was the year after they just barely changed the honor code to be that you could say that you're gay. Before that, you couldn't even say that you're gay without getting kicked out. And, you know, we BYU has come very far. I think there are still things that need to change, but I'm, I'm really amazed at how far they have come. And at this point now, having in circle at BYU, at, not at BYU, but in Provo is amazing. I wish that place existed when I was there. Well, at the same time, I don't know that I would have gone when I was there because <laughs> I was not out when I was in, in BYU. And USGA existed when I was there, and I was terrified to go. So I, I never went when I was it's at BYU. Okay. It's okay. But, yeah, I'm very glad at all the all the resources that exist now. In and I listened to that on YouTube this morning, and I was struck with just the applause mm-hmm. that Matt got. That's awesome. And I just thought of all the closeted LGBTQ people that might be at BYU or thinking about BYU. Yeah. Those that aren't out. And mm-hmm. I thought and I thought of just the increased hope it brought to them and the maybe the thought that I can belong. There might be a place for me. Yeah. As they saw the reaction to Matt coming out in his commencement speech and being the valedictorian of the whole class is an accomplishment in its own self. Yeah. We just ought to talk about that. But what did he say? He just talked about, you know, this is how God created me mm-hmm. and I've, and this is who I am. And he owned it and there was no shame, mm-hmm. you know, as, as you would imagine, it was just upbeat, positive. This is who I am. And I'm, and this is how my maker created me. And I'm going forward in my life as a gay man. And, and I just loved that there was no shame and no sort of, I'm a mistake or God, something went wrong in God's plan and I'm gay. And that's. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be fixed someday, but this is my trial and Mm -hmm. just, and I, and you know that, and Mm -hmm. I've had to learn that by meeting with lots of people to understand this is really part of God's beautiful plan and who you are, Sarah, is I think God's up there saying, this is exactly how I made you. Yeah. (laughs) This isn't something that went awry. Right. And you could, do you feel that way? 
I definitely feel that way. I I feel like going after I moved from BYU to Michigan and I came out and you know, going through medical school and so being where I am. It's really cool to go to medical school. Yeah. <laughs> so you've done the MCAT. Right. We have people in our lives that are studying their guts out for the MCAT. Right. And you did that and yeah. you got into med school. So that is really cool. So, okay. Thanks. I just interrupted you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah. I mean, being where I am right now, I just, I feel like I'm exactly where God needs me to be and wants me to be. And, and I can't imagine being anywhere else or being anybody else, you know. Talk about going to Michigan, Michigan, because it's the first time you're not around a, a faith community. It's, you've right. got to kind of be in the church. If you're ever going to step away from the church, this is a time, yeah. perhaps that you could. Yeah. So, growing up, I went to church because my parents brought me there. You know, I didn't necessarily have a choice in the matter. Um, not to say that it was bad. You know, I I am so grateful for growing up in the church. And when I went to BYU, again, I went because I was expected to be there. And in Michigan, my family wasn't there. I didn't have an ecclesiastical endorsement hanging over my head anymore. Like, I didn't have to go. No one knew that I was Mormon until I told them I went to BYU. But um, other than that, I didn't have to go. So very quickly after I moved there, I came up to this period of time of, of a faith crisis. And I had to decide... Do I actually want this or not? Even, even after going on my mission, even after having that experience of my mission. So this was a few months after I moved to Michigan and I had you know, already come out to myself and thought, can I really honestly stay in the church denying myself of any type of relationship and just do this? And it was, so at the time, there were two real significant times when I was in Michigan that I saw myself really truly on the way out of church, leaving the church. And both of those times, the thing that kept me was the covenants that I made at the temple. I knew that if I had left the church, that I would wake up one day, whether it was a few months later or years later, I would wake up one day and I would regret walking away from the covenants that I made with God in the temple. And I didn't want to do that. I reflect on the power of the temple mm -hmm. and the role it's, it's been played in your life in the atonement of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. What is it about the covenants? Is it the fear of breaking the covenants that kind of keeps you in? Is it, or is it more positive in the sense I want the blessings from the covenants in my life? Or is it a little bit of both? I don't think it's ever been fear-based for me. I think it's always been this connection with God. I think through all of it, there have been times where I've been angry with God for sure. But I think for all of it, I've I've always had a good relationship with God. I've I've had my fair share of prayers where I've just yelled at God and and just you know had it out and and not understood why I had to go through these things and why certain things were happening. But but I think through it all, just having this foundational connection to God and just having such profound experiences in the temple, that is something I, I didn't want to give up. That's cool. So. I love the way you turn to Christ and the atonement of Christ and turn to the temple. You turn to your sources of light yeah. to make decisions in your most difficult time. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's making decisions based on a point of strength to be in the very best spot you can as you make decisions. Mm -hmm. How, do you, how does it affect you when LGBTQ people leave? 
Um, and so maybe you have a friend that's like you, mm-hmm. you know, she's gay and she leaves and finds a partner. Yeah. How does that feel to you inside? How do you process that? It's interesting you ask that because that was something that was really difficult for me really recently. I don't know if you know the story of Josh Weed. Yeah. That happened at a time when a whole bunch of other of my friends also left the church and it all just kind of compounded at once. And that was really hard for me. I don't know him or I've ever talked to him other than seeing his video and following his story. But when, uh, you know, not, not to say anything negative about him, but when, when his story changed, that was difficult for me. And then I, I had other friends that also I saw left the church. And the thing is, I don't judge them for leaving the church. That is their story. And I, I don't believe that it is, I don't believe that everyone can stay in the church. So as an example, I know that for some people, mental health is a difficult thing. And wrestling with LGBTQ issues and mental health and suicidality and the church can all compound. And if staying in the church leads to suicidality, that is not okay. It is more important for that person to be alive. And that is a hard thing to say. But when the choice is between living and whatever else it is, the choice is living. And so it's it's a hard thing to say because when we are in the church, we believe that the church and God and that is always the answer. And we can't conceive of any other possible thing that can can make that not the correct answer. But there are things that make that not the answer for some people. I'm really comfortable with your answer. Yeah. I think it's a really good faith-based answer, and I think that's okay. I think God has got 99% of his children outside of our faith, and he seems to be okay with it. Yeah. And so I've learned to be okay with it. I invite everybody to stay. I certainly... Um, all the good in my life comes from living the church, but you know I'm a round peg trying to fit into a round hole. Right. And if if a LGBTQ person represents a square peg trying to fit into a round hole, that creates a lot of tension. Yeah. Um, that can be that you talk about, and so I think we honor people that feel like they can't stay. Mm-hmm. We just leave that at the Savior's feet. Yeah. But I'm really sensitive to LGBTQ people are trying to stay Mm -hmm. when they hear lots of stories of people that leave. Mm -hmm. And my general impression is LGBTQ people are staying have a fair amount of empathy for them because they know how hard it is to stay. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's hard just to hear those stories of people that leave. And and so it just adds to the the complicated nature of your road. Yeah. And so I think when I I saw those friends leaving it's not that i was sad for them or like it, it it wasn't necessarily anything to do with them it was just i thought for myself i was like what is this even possible you know i was like what am i doing do you have role models of of women that are older than you that you know i mean there's tom christopherson there's some older right. male examples but right. 
I don't know of any older gay women in our church. Right. And I don't know. I just thought of that. If that would help you, and maybe you'll become that for other people. Right. You know, that is the thing is that, so when I got home and I watched all the videos on Voices Through Hope, I was like, there are no female videos, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the one, and most of them that are female are married to men. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so like, you know, even if there are, they're married, which, you know, I, it's not that I can't connect with them at all, but I do have very good friends, whether or not they're gay. I have very good friends and the, you know, people don't necessarily have to have my exact same path for me to be able to connect with them or for them to be able to connect with me to help be a support. I like that. I remember a long time ago, before I really connected with this space, I thought, you know, for our, our younger LGBT, I didn't even use that vocabulary, I'm sure. I'm sure I said for our younger same-sex attracted members, yeah. um, there's really no role models. This is pre-Tom Christofferson. Yeah. And I thought all the role models I see are people that leave. I don't see people. Yeah. Um, I don't hear a member of our bishopric identify as gay or a Relief right. Society presidency member or have just any role models. And so mm -hmm. that's what I hope happens is, you know, as this your age group ages up and that there'll just be more and maybe your age, the group that's – and maybe it doesn't just have to be your age group. There's lots mm -hmm. of people even in my age group that are out. But right. I think that helps. I wanted to t ask you a question about – most of the LGBTQ people I've met with have had at times difficult experiences at church, a, mm -hmm. a talk, a local leader, a policy, and they're sometimes they want a framework to how to manage that. They want to mm -hmm. stay, but they want to, but they do feel hurt. Any advice to them as you may have felt some of those same feelings, the hurt of, yeah, of just those kind of things. Yeah. So something that I learned in Michigan how to do was separate culture and doctrine. That was the biggest thing I learned in Michigan, spiritual-wise. So, and th this is something that I that I determined. I Whether or not this is fully true, I don't know, but this is how I think of the church. I believe that the, the fundamental purpose of the church is two things, so that we can have a prophet to receive revelation, and the church is a vehicle to provide the ordinances of salvation. That's it. All of the extra, all of the other things, that's a bonus. All of the other things are a bonus. Priesthood blessings, all of the things on Sunday, Sunday school lessons, Relief Society, primary, everything else on top of that, that's all the things we get to enjoy with the nature of the church as an organization to help increase our faith, to help us socialize with other people, that believe the same things we do and to help us to continue to keep our covenants. And if there was something at church that was not helping me keep my covenants, it didn't matter in the eternal scheme of things. So when I went to YSA wards that talked about eternal marriage, I let go of that. I didn't always let go of that. I would. Because that would, was painful for you. Yes. So that's, you're going to church to feel the balm of guilt and you feel pain. Yes. And I would come home angry and just spitting rage and thinking I never want to go back and focusing that anger on specific people and thinking, 
why can't they let go of this? And whether or not that was true, like I always thought, why do we talk about this every single Sunday? And that could have been, it could have been true that we talked about it more than in other wards, but because I was so sensitive to it, I thought we've talked about it every single Sunday. But to me, like marriage is a saving ordinance, but when we talk about you have to go date, you have to go whatever they talk about, (laughs) that's not helping me keep my covenants. And that doesn't matter. If it is not helping me keep the covenants I have made, it doesn't matter. So I let go of those things. And so repentance, sometimes through a bishop, baptism, and taking the sacrament every week to renew baptismal covenants, receiving the Holy Ghost, temple covenants, including marriage, those are the saving ordinances. If they are not pertaining, if they're not deriving their foundation in those things and helping me keep those covenants that I've made, it doesn't matter. And I shouldn't let them drive a wedge between me and God. It's very thoughtful. I'm thinking of an island in the ocean that represents safety, that represents the covenants you talked about. And Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the current that brings us there is the church. The church isn't the end. It doesn't represent the island. It represents the current getting us to the island, which represents our covenants and our relationship with God and Christ. And, but sometimes that current can be pushing us in the wrong direction. Yeah. So there's, and so I, and I recognize that can be the culture of folk. And so I think it's okay to acknowledge that at times our institutional church creates a current that makes it harder to keep our covenants. Right. And you've felt that. Mm-hmm. And then I think when we feel that, we feel pain, which is a primary emotion, and that leads to anger, yeah. which is a secondary emotion. And I think I think that's okay to feel all those. It's sort of what do we do with anger after a period of time. I remember mm-hmm. I remember giving permission for the YSA sometimes to feel anger, and I kept looking in the handbook, and I said, can I do that somewhere in the handbook? <laughs> anger, I was like looking yeah. for an index. And, yeah. and I thought that that's still within sort of it's sort of what you do with anger. And if you can learn yeah. from it and turn to God, and, and that's why I credit you. I think one of the things I've learned, I wish I could quantify this in my marketing research mind, but it seems like a lot of our LGBTQ members recognized our beautiful institutional church can't answer every question for them. Right. And that is not to be critical of our church. Mm-hmm. And so they, sometimes they have even a closer relationship with heavenly parents because they needed more personal revelation and they can't just go to church and get every answer Mm-hmm. Um, because there's just some things that are unwritten and untalked about. Mm-hmm. And so then sometimes you develop a better spiritual framework long-term because it's about your relationship with heavenly parents and your older brother there with the atonement to heal you and to focus on the covenants. And and so that's sometimes, I and I like that because I think that's more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Any more thoughts on any of that, Sarah? So when I say... I was able to let go of those things. I'm not perfect at it. I still come home angry from church sometimes. And there are things like the policy recently that I still have very raw feelings over. I'm still not necessarily settled with that. And the thing that that helps me is that I know that what I feel about things right now is not necessarily how I'm going to feel about things two years from now. And that when I am able to have time and understanding about things that my feelings change. And I've seen that with people and I've seen that with 
with different situations where for you know for example if if a person i where i feel like this person was totally wrong totally in the wrong and i'm just absolutely angry with them and then i find out uh, a totally different reason why this person did what they did it it just it allows me to have more grace and more understanding for the situation and i don't understand i i don't understand why things have to be the way they have to be right now but to but i can't allow that to to change my relationship with god and to change the covenants that i made with god and that that was the conclusion that i came to after being extremely angry i was and still am i still have anger i still have anger over over the things that have happened but but i still every time go back to what is my relationship with god and what promises have i made with god so i love that it's a really mature thought, and I love the word of grace and extending grace to others and and being patient enough to know that maybe in time I'll understand better right. and I'll have a better perspective. But I've also learned to honor your anger. Mm-hmm. If I were your wife, say, Bishop, I'd say, Sarah, permission to feel angry right. and permission to feel hurt. And I'd probably even ask some follow-up questions on tell me what you're not comfortable with or tell me more. And I'd probably want to sort of get it all out of you. Mm-hmm. Everything you felt, even if it's stuff that's kind of difficult for me to hear potentially or Mm -hmm. things that are hard. And I think that's part of me sitting with you in your pain Mm -hmm. that is my responsibility if I were your priesthood leader. And to be safe enough for you that you can turn to a church friend or a priesthood leader and share everything how you feel. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think you need to be able to turn to trusted people in our church to talk about how you feel. Because I think obviously people that have left can have those conversations with you. Mm -hmm. And you might conclude you just belong with people that have left. But I think if if you can talk to people that have stayed and we can develop a maturity that I can hear difficult things Mm -hmm. about how you feel, even if it's not my journey, and even if I don't feel the same way, just to honor how you feel. Yeah. I think it's a pastoral principle of ministering. Yeah. I think that I think sometimes we shy away from negative feelings, particularly when it comes to the church. And we we think that if you're angry or upset or or whatever, that it would destroy your testimony. And like whatever you feel is valid. Your feelings are valid. And and taking and stuffing your feelings away are are that's unhealthy. That is that's always an unhealthy behavior. You need to feel your feelings and validate them. And it's what you do with your feelings afterwards that determines what will happen. So it's really very thoughtful. Talk about your eternal purpose in earth life. So I think that what I learned growing up, the typical, the very stereotypical Mormon path is you get baptized, then you know, for, for females you might or might not go on a mission, and then you get married and then you start having kids. By twenty eight, I should be on my fourth kid by now. <laughs> You're behind, um, Sarah. I'm very far behind. I need to catch up. Maybe I can have twins like twice in a row or something. <laughs> um, so I've known from a young age that I was supposed to be a doctor. I knew that back in high school that I wanted to be a doctor. And then it's when I went to BYU that that really kind of solidified in my mind that God needed me to be a doctor and that that was just kind of handed to me because I remember having friends going through college 
and just really struggling with what they wanted to do with their lives or what they needed to do with their lives. And I just, I really felt blessed that Heavenly Father just handed to me, this is what you need to do with your life because he knew that I would struggle with, with other things. And so I felt like he really blessed me with that. And it's a very strange thing to say in the church that my eternal purpose in my life is my job. It's not to have children and it never will be. And it won't, it won't be to get married in the temple. It never will be. And, and to get married at all. Right. That's not something that I want. I don't want that. I w- so I've, I have had such spiritual experiences through medicine. It, it has been the most spiritual journey for me, particularly at BYU as an EMT. I wor- so I worked for BYU EMS for five years. Wow. Well, I had taken an extra year to graduate after I had served a mission in between. So I worked for them for five years. And through, through that time... I had such, such spiritual experiences that confirmed to me over and over again that medicine really, really was the thing. That 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 was the way I was going to serve God in this life. That That is the thing of eternal consequence that I'm going to do in this life. And it wasn't to, it wasn't necessarily to raise children in the gospel, which, which I absolutely believe is a worthy eternal goal. And for many, many people, that is their eternal purpose. And that, that's an amazing thing. And for me, in my life, it's it's a little bit different. I'm just so touched about this part of your story, Sarah. Thanks. And I just, the thought comes into my mind that you're not living plan B. Right. And plan B for you isn't because I couldn't get married or because I'm, I'm not straight. <laughs> and so I had to go to plan B, which is to become a doctor. Right. To me, the impression I'm getting right now, this is plan A. Right. And this is exactly what God wants you to do and what you want are being prompted to do. And I know in our culture, sometimes we don't look at it that way, but that's one of the things I love about your story. I love that you've just, you know, been so focused on this career and now in residency. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal to get in your residency and know you want to be a trauma surgeon. And I just think, you know, I just love that about your story and your spiritual confidence that you just own it, that you don't think, well, I've got, am I re, I just love your confidence that you just own it. And I think it's so healthy as I've listened to more women, I couldn't get this from men, but some of the women as I've listened to says, you know, in my YSA ward, I never felt complete until I was married or culturally mm-hmm. we've created this. I'm not a complete person until I'm married and yeah. I'm married and I certainly love being married and right. I and I love that experience, but I recognized how difficult that is for our members that aren't married culturally mm-hmm. that we're not we create this feeling of not being whole or complete or mm-hmm. our life doesn't really start until we're married. And finally, when I'm married, then I'll be a full Mormon or a full. And so there's so many things that we do. And then often women that I remember being sensitive of this in, when I was in college because I had a cousin mm-hmm. who became a lawyer and she's did get married, but I was so impressed that she's got on with her life. Um, but I, and I just, I was, I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. And so I just think we need to make, we just felt in our YSA ward. And now that I've been released for a long time, I hope I did a good job. We did not want to make it about marriage. We never had anybody talk about marriage over the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that's because my wife and I both got married. We were 28 and 27. So we'd been a long time. We kind of felt some of that. And we just thought, let's make it about coming unto Christ in our ward. Yeah. And let's don't make it about being married. They've heard enough talks about being married. Yeah. <laughs> 
I didn't even feel impressed to talk to the brothers about getting married. Sometimes they get sort of the extra. Yeah. And I don't think we had more or less marriages, mm -hmm. but I hope we help more people come into Christ. It's that island of the current yeah. and to keep their covenants. Any more thoughts on that? Something that really impressed me. So going way back to the mission, when we had that Mormon.org time, that, that was the period of time where the church was putting out all these videos about um, interviewing people and they would tell their story and they would bear their testimony and say, I'm a Mormon at the end. And what impressed me about every single person, they were like musicians and scientists and professional athletes. Whatever they did at their jobs, they found God in whatever they were doing. It didn't matter what it was. That, that was so amazing to me. And I love that. And I think, I think because of that, I looked more for those spiritual experiences in medicine. One of my most, one of my most spiritual experiences I ever had was my very first time that I had done CPR on, on anybody. And so when I, when I was the EMT, so you can get very different levels of emergencies when you get called. There can be a sprained ankle or you can have someone in cardiac arrest and the level of chaos in a sprained ankle versus cardiac arrest is very different. So in a cardiac arrest, you're just like off the charts with chaos. But when we were on that call and doing CPR, it was so calm. Just everything w went like clockwork. We were, we had trained together to do this pit crew model of CPR where everyone had their position. Everyone did exactly what they were supposed to do. And after that call, I just, this, this scripture kept coming to mind that God doesn't give you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And, and I just remember like, I don't feel calm like that, except when I'm feeling the spirit. And, and when we were, I knew that that person was going to die. That person eventually passed away, but I knew that God was there and he was there preparing that person to come home. And it was just, I, every single call like that, I, I just know that whatever situation it is, God is there with us, especially in those very intense life and death situations. That, that's what I love most about the more intense emergency situations that I know that God is in there in those moments um, with those families, with those loved ones. He's not leaving them to just fend for themselves. I love that. I just love that. And I love one of your spiritual gifts or I don't think this comes to your medical training. I think it's a gift of calmness mm -hmm. and a gift of reason and a gift of being able to do your best in the key moments that might be emotionally filled that would keep you from doing your best. So it's mm -hmm. a spiritual gift, I think, to be able to in that, you know, not the sprained ankle moment, but the mm -hmm. cardiac arrest right. is to have good you know, technical expertise, but then I think a spiritual gift that I don't know if you can learn in residency or med school, which right. is the calm. I love the sound of mind that you reference. Mm -hmm. I think that's a spiritual gift you have. And I think you're just, in my feeling is if God came on this podcast and sat, pulled up a chair right yeah. here, Sarah, yeah, you would just say, this is what I hoped you'd be doing. This is what your plan is. I'd hope that you'd stay close enough to me that you would find your way. And your way is different. It's not the cultural, doesn't fit the cultural narrative. I hope our cultural narrative expands because our doctrine has room for what you're doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what you're doing is totally within our doctrine, but culturally, mm -hmm. 
you know, it may, it is, but just to your point, we talk about mm-hmm. marriage so much, but I, I would just think God would be here and say, this is what we talked about in the pre-earth life. Mm-hmm. And this is part of all Elder Uchtdorf's impressions painting, all those dots that sometimes don't make sense. Right. But then as we get further in our lives, we look back and say, wow, this is all part of a beautiful plan. And it's all coming together in these moments. And I think you're going to have moments as a trauma surgeon that you're going to go home and you're just going, I was able to do something today that was life changing for people. I don't know if you're going to go home to an empty apartment. I don't know if you have animals there. I don't know. You know, in those moments when you're alone and you're away from your work, Mm I just hope that God kind of wraps you and just says, this is your plan. And this is what I needed you to do on earth life. And, mm-hmm. and, and your ability to stay close to church and stay close to God and bring all these gifts, not just your technical skill. I guess I get the impression part of your gifts are just the reason, the sound mind, the calmness that you'll bring. You'll probably really help people that need in a, and when someone's gone or someone's, it's a life-changing situation, I sense you'll have some real skills there to help those people in those emotionally-filled emergency room situations that you're already dealing with. Thanks. So um, I'm just touched by this podcast, Sarah. I'm touched with your good spirit. Thanks. And um, you're the kind of person I just want to kind of keep track of and say, well, are you going to be in 10 years and 20 years? And um, you have a great life ahead of you. You are strong and courageous and and are a great example, not only to women, but to men. I think men need your example in their life. I know I would want my sons to have examples like you, as well as my daughters in their lives, of strong, capable people contributing society and doing really wonderful things. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? I had remembered something that I forgot to share previously. So we do go backs on this podcast. (laughs) So when we're talking about how I believe that the purpose of the church is to be a a vehicle to provide the ordinances of salvation. I do believe that parts of the church are to provide for our temporal needs. And that's not to say that fulfilling our callings and ministering to people and all that, that is so important. Our temporal needs are also important. And putting our whole hearts into those things, those are also important. And I didn't want to necessarily minimize that. I was just thinking about a way of trying not to drive a wedge between me and God. And and I wanted to be able to find a way to focus more on the doctrine and try and sift out what the culture is. So I absolutely believe that people put so much of their effort and and souls into their callings. And that, that is absolutely a very important thing. I love that. So, but I, but as, as a final thought, I think that for those who are gay in the church and who are struggling with it, I think the most important thing is maintaining a relationship with God and everything else will follow. Just maintaining a relationship with God is the most important thing and will sustain you. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm glad you reached out. I probably have more podcasts from gay men than gay women. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when we think about the LGBTQ spectrum, we go to gay men. Mm -hmm. And they, not to minimize the difficulty of their road, but there probably is more content and more understanding and more people walking that road. And Mm -hmm. And so I'm glad to have you on the podcast and bring voice to women and what you're doing with your career. And 
I'm going to do a go back to, I'm going to go back because you asked a question, what did Matt Easton say okay. in his valedictorian, which I can't spell, but mm -hmm. I managed to Google it and find it. <laughs> yeah. And this is just about, you know, maybe one minute or less from what he said. This is from Matt Easton. This is to the whole BYU student body and their parents. Mm -hmm. I recall countless times here at the Y when I battled and fought in prayer with my maker it was in these quiet moments of pain and confusion that I felt another triumph, that that of coming to terms not with who I thought I should be, but who the Lord had made me to be. And such I stand before my family, friends, and graduating class today to say that I am proud to be a gay son of God. I am loved and important in the plan of our. I'm in loved and important part in the plan of our Creator. Wow. So I love what Matt did, and I love yeah. just the progress we're making. I'm so grateful to have met you, Sarah. I will never forget our visit today. Thanks. And your friend that's here with you. I always like it when people come on the podcast with a, a friend. And But you have a great life ahead of you, and I admire you sharing your story because there are lots of people who are going to hear this podcast, and it will give them better tools and better perspective to minister and understand and if there's closeted LGBTQ people, particularly perhaps gay women mm -hmm. um, that are listening to this, say, I can do what Sarah's doing. And I now I have a mentor. I have a role model. I have someone just a little further down my path. And, and maybe my eternal plan is not to be married in this life. And maybe I can let that go mm -hmm. and just see God's plan for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's everybody's path, but I'll bet there's some people that says that's that's always been kind of what I felt was my path. And now I have a better example of how to do that. Maybe it's helpful for gay men that feel like, you know, they're going to live this road of, of celibacy and, and they have examples of how to do that. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Thank you. Sarah Kemp for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. And if you have time, rate our podcast. I realize you can do that. I'm not really a podcaster, but I understand that you can like our podcast and rate it. And I think that helps people engage in it. So if you have time, please do that. Thank you.